Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates classic cult and current films and the people that made them and many other aspects of pop culture. I'm your host, Steve Rubin. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and our signature theme was composed by Greg Lerhoff. Here it's always Saturday night, and our mission is to chronicle film and pop cultural history one memory at a time. Tonight, we welcome a wonderful actor with an amazingly eclectic resume. He's played everything from duplicitous husbands to Starfleet captains and presidents of the United States. Let's welcome the almost always likable Bruce Greenwood. I say that, Bruce, because in Double Jeopardy, you were not so likable. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, there was a few years after, after that movie came out where people would you know, recognize me in a shop or something and I'd get a, a, a lot of scowls from the women. Well, it's it's a terrible cliche, but I have known a bunch of Canadians in my life, and I've worked in Canada four times. I find that Canadians are the nicest people in the world, bar none. And I was wondering, in your travels, uh, uh, have you ever met a Canadian that was not so nice? <laughs> I, you don't have to travel that far. Uh, oh, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> Okay, and I'm sure I'm, and I'm sure I've been one of those Canadians <laughs> more than once. Well, let's go back to the beginning. But let, me let me apologize for that. <laughs> let's go back to the beginning because this show is all about movies and the love of movies and just uh, being part of the world of movies. Uh, I grew up across the street from a movie theater, so it was, I was destined to be somewhere in show business. Were you part of a movie-going family growing up? Was were movies a part of your life? No, no, it was it was uh, all sports with us. Um, the movies were not. I think the first. Well, the, the first the first movie poster I remember going crazy for was uh, the Blue Max with Ursula Andress. So, as a I know kid in grade three or grade four, seeing that we lived in New Jersey at the time. And I remember being, and I was, I was, I was completely obsessed with aircraft. And my grandpa was a pilot, and 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 um, so the Blue Max and a beautiful woman was, you know, that's that's all I, all the boy needed. But well, we, I, I don't think I I don't think the I, we never went to movies. I think they were huge huge events to go to a movie. So Doctor Doolittle was a big event, and uh, and I don't I probably I didn't go to a movie until I was in my after that until I was in my early teens. Wow, that's interesting. So on every every year on Sunday night, they would run The Wizard of Oz. You probably weren't watching The Wizard of Oz. No, so The Wizard of Oz, I, I was sort of thinking cinema movies, but yeah, once a year we'd gather to watch The Wizard of Oz. And when the monkeys came out, we would, the, the three kids would cower under the ping pong table. <laughs> For me, it was the Wicked Witch sky rock, rock being, or sky riding over Emerald City. It just it terrified me that- oh, yeah open yeah. roof and the witch was there so i i hear you completely did you uh uh your act you you've had a hell of a career as an actor early on did you think you would be an actor was it something that you worked toward early on or you know how no did... no i needed i was taking a heavy course load in my first year in university and uh i should say my only year in university um and a bunch of stuff that i had no business taking like physics and economics and and uh but there were a couple of courses that really interested me and and one of them wasn't acting 
I was really into philosophy and, um, and I, but I realized I needed three easy credits to make the year and realized at the same time that you can't be failed for being a bad actor. So I thought, well, I'll take an acting course and, and, you know, I'll show up and, you know, do some work, but they can't fail me if I'm bad. Uh, but it ended up speaking to all the things that I love, which is storytelling and poetry and language. And, and um, so I ended up being completely drawn into it. And that's when I, and I was, it was, I was introduced to it just because I thought it would be a way to get three easy credits. And it happened to be something that I really sparked to. So all actors start out bad because you just have to have the experience. What were what was the moment perhaps when you thought, hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this? Oh, I think those moments are so fleeting that they don't ever land in a way to give you the confidence to even think you can continue. How about the applause? Did you I I would think that that was nice to get occasionally. Oh yeah, when you're doing a comedy and stuff, it's 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 yeah, it's really fun to it's fun to get a laugh and um but it was it was the it's more the process you know it sounds kind of dweeby but it's it was more the 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 fun of doing it rather than the um than the recognition you know which is it, it was just the fun of doing it you know did you have a mentor that um, per se was there a particular uh theater teacher that uh helped you along or were you pretty much pulling yourself up on your own bootstraps. No, I was, I, I worked professionally for a while. And, uh, and then I, then I went to school in New York and I had uh, a couple of wonderful teachers in New York. And, um, and then, then they, most of most, mostly on the job training. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, 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 your resume is fairly thick and obviously I'm not going to talk to you about everything you've ever done. Uh, when I saw you that day uh, and, and you introduced yourself, it was like, oh, my God, because I've been a big fan of yours, uh, not having seen everything you've done, but in certain films. But I had to look at your resume just to kind of be somewhat uh, knowledgeable. And I noticed that you have a credit National Guardsman number five in First Blood. Now, uh, is, is that true? Were you one of the National Guardsmen in First Blood? Well, yeah. well that's, a, that's, that's incorrect. I was National Guardsman number four. Well, see, you know, this is how you learn. You just can't, you can't believe everything you read, Steve. Um, yeah, yeah. I was one of uh, four guys cowering behind a log. And um, I, I put it, and I, no dialogue or anything. We just had to, I had to cower behind this log while, while Sly was, you know, marching around in the forest doing something manly and he's doing um, something manly he's machine gunning you and those those tracers are flying all over that log. yeah yeah so we and so we had a cower behind oh you watched a bit of it did you yeah so so i had to cower behind that log and i thought well when i when i came down to hollywood to try and to try and get an agent and all that i i, I put it on the resume as though it meant something Listen, you, you, absolutely. And and uh, I have to say that First Blood is one of my favorite films and Ted Kotcheff is one of my favorite directors. And I, you know, it's, uh, I think what's interesting about the movie business is even, in, I, I, I don't know who said it, there are no such things as small parts. Everything is part of the fabric. And whether you're in the movie for 30 seconds or two hours, it's, it's you're part of legend. It's like, it's like, I hate to use this analogy, but if we were in the room when they were signing the Declaration of Independence, we were part of the experience. I mean, I, uh, 
and, and, and you've been on, on some funny things. So the first time I really noticed you and paid attention was I saw Double Jeopardy. And uh, it's it's a it's a corking thriller. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that kind of you wandered into that picture. I mean, do you have good memories? Yeah, I do. I'm, I they were they were casting at Paramount, and even though it was going to be shot, I didn't realize this at the time. It was going to be shot in Vancouver, which is my hometown. But um, they were casting at Paramount, and I went in and read, and uh, not for the part that I ended up ultimately getting because it was a the part that I read for was a very small part. And I said to, and I had read the whole script and, uh, and I said to Bruce Beresford, the director, um, who's a fantastic, beautiful, beautiful guy who was always talking like that. And everything sounds like a question is like, he's surprised about something. And, um, and I said, <laughs> and he's terribly dry. And, um, I finished my reading and I said, you know, uh, Mr. Beresford, I, 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 there's another part in here that I would really love, love to read for, love, love to, if I would be part of um, Nick Parsons. And he says, um, right, hey, Sue. Oh, hey, Sue. Uh, yeah, could you, uh, sorry, I meant to close this door. Okay, thanks. In the middle of the story, of course I was in the middle of the story. Yeah, so when we when they were shooting, um, you could just cut that bit out, right? Absolutely, Ben. Did yeah. you hear that? Ben, Ben will cut it out. I'll He's lost it. interest. Yeah. Okay. The story is that good. <laughs> yeah. So when when they were casting for Double Jeopardy, they were doing it at, at Paramount, which uh, and I didn't realize they're they going to shoot the movie in Vancouver, which was my hometown. But I went in and read for this very small part, and Beresford, Bruce Beresford, the director, was this wonderful guy with a tremendously dry sense of humor. Um, who happens to speak in a in a, such a way that everything he says sounds like he's surprised. Hello, well, good to meet you. Right, yeah. So yeah, so have a bit of a read and then um, off you go. So I, I read for this one little part and I said, look, Mr. Bresser, I, I would really like to, you know, if I'd like to read, if there's a different, I well, <laughs> there's another part I would like to try, if you don't mind. And he goes, right, what part is that? I go, well, it's the part of Nick Parsons. Mmm, mmm. And he turned off to the side and he goes, I've got a list here. You're not on it. <laughs> I went, okay. Oh, okay, well, thank Very nice to meet you and bye-bye. And then um, I somehow, and I can't remember how this happened, I managed to get a way to communicate with him, either his phone number or this was this was really in the days before email, so it must have been his phone number. And I and that sounds so absurd, but it it happened somehow. And months later, when they were they were getting ready to shoot in Vancouver, I I happened to be up there, and um, and I I called him and I said, uh, "Have you have you cast this part yet?" And he goes. Well, no, we haven't, but you're not on the list. And I said, well, I, I heard by the grapevine that you guys are still, uh, you know, auditioning. Well, as a, as a matter of fact, we're doing a screen test with a couple of blokes in a day or two. And I can't put you on the official roster, but I can, I can bring you in once they've gone. And if there's time, we can throw you on film if you want. 
And I went, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, let's, let's do that. So they had auditioned these two other guys. And I drove down to this little studio. By this time, the other guys had gone. And they'd set up these two beautiful motorhomes for these other actors. And uh, they were let, letting me use one of them. And so I walked in and the other guys had gone and there was a huge, like, like a goodie bowl, you know, with like crackers and cheese and, you know, cheap half a liter of wine. And, and those guys had gone, they'd already gotten on a plane back to New York. And I just went, I mean, it's the jackpot, man. It's the jackpot. I can't, even if I don't get the part, I get a basket with cheese and wine. <laughs> so, I, so I, you know, throw the stuff into my car and, um, and went up and I met, and met Ashley, and as it happened, I had played her mother's husband in a in a movie of the week about the Judds, and so we chatted about that a little while, and then we did a little then we did a little screen test, and um, and I guess and then Bruce showed the screen test to to Sherry, who was the head of Paramount at the time, and um, you know, then I got the job. You got a good role too. And they often say yeah. that the best parts sometimes are the villains. And uh, they, let you, they let you to chew and chew. Uh, I thought you were just terrific. You were the guy we all love to hate. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun, fun part. And, you know, getting to work with Tommy Lee Jones and, you know, trying to, you know, pretend like I was, I was confident and hold a cigar without the ash shaking off in the first half a second, you know. <laughs> It was it was all very it was all very challenging. Well, aside from getting a few scowls from patrons in local supermarkets, I bet it raised your profile quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it it, it did. I I wasn't sort of I wasn't hip at the time to uh, how to sort of monetize that that kind of participation in a movie that was perceived as successful. I didn't I didn't really understand that I could have. Uh, at the time, I could have tried to tried to draft behind that success in any kind of way. So, um, but I think, it, but as you say, I think it did it legitimized me um, a little bit. It wasn't really until thirteen days that I sort of felt like, oh, well, maybe I'm maybe I am visible, you know. Now you got to work in your hometown. That must have been kind of fun for you. Uh, were the, was there a family locally that could come by and say hi? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So working in Vancouver was, was fantastic, and then we finished it off in uh, in New Orleans, which was equally great. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Now you mentioned thirteen days. I mean, um, you get cast to play John F. Kennedy. Uh, if I was a casting director and I was looking through the list of people to cast as JFK, I would have definitely picked you. Um, was that a long casting process? Obviously, a very critical casting. Yeah, yeah, it was long, and um, and I had uh, I had some cassette tapes of Kennedy's voice with me. I went to New York to audition, and um, you know, I, I suppose I had the uh, I don't know. It was just one of those things where when I met Roger Donaldson, the director, um, I, I was I had just the most tenuous grip on the kind of timber of voice that I was going to try and use, and I had a cassette tape, a little one of those little you know Walkmans or you know the little Walkman players, right? <clears throat> and um, excuse me, and I 
and I went in to start the audition and I started talking and went, oh, no. And I, and I, at least I had the presence of mind at, in the moment to go, that's not right. It's not right. Roger, do you mind if I just listen to something on a, my cassette tape for a second? And he went, no, no, that's fine. And generally speaking, when you're doing an audition and you, you balk in the middle of something, you, you kind of know it's, it's over. And, and you, so you can't, you just forgive yourself and you move on. You don't balk, you just plunge ahead and forgive yourself for mistakes. But I, on this occasion, I didn't. And um, it took a second to listen to the tape and it kind of cued me into a, a vibe. And, um, and I think I don't, there might've been a couple of callbacks. I don't really remember. It's a long time ago now. No, it's a long time ago. Um, were you, uh, uh, were you a fan of Kennedy? Was Kennedy in your. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause we lived in New Jersey and we lived in DC for a while. We lived in Bethesda when I was a kid. I'm, although I'm Canadian, my dad was working. He was a student at Princeton and then he was a prophet at Princeton. So we spent a fair amount of time on the East coast until I was in the sixth grade. Um, so I was very, very aware of him. You know, we were, you know, during the Cuban missile crisis, we lived in Princeton and we were given the option um, the families and children were given the option when the alarms went off, would, would the kids like to race home and be with their parents to be annihilated or were they like to be um, cowering under a mattress in the basement of the school? And, um, and my parents wanted me to come home. And I remember thinking, yeah, well, you're old, you know, what I, you know, I could, I could lie under a mattress and survive and run home and get blasted off the sidewalk, you know? But um, I, you know, I remember that 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 time, you know, pretty pretty distinctly. Sure. So yeah. I've always been connected to that moment in a way because I'd experienced some version of it, right? I'm sure my teachers would in my elementary school classroom or in middle school would come out and uh, walk in very nonchalantly and yell "drop," and we'd all drop wow. under our desks. Wow. Uh, little yeah. did we know that a wooden desk probably wouldn't save us, but it was something to do. Yeah. Uh, and my mother was bottling water in the downstairs bathroom. I had all these giant bottles of water. And I, I tried to figure out what's going on here. It was a it was crazy time. Very crazy time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did, um, so you, you got the role. Um, it, 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 obviously, when you play someone as iconic as John F. Kennedy, there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of pressure did you did you feel that at all or was it a, was it a fairly comfortable fit for you no there's pressure <laughs> you know you know that you know a lot of people have played kennedy and i and i sort of ha i appreciated even at that time that nobody is going to do it completely so if you put together all the all the people that have played kennedy and think of it as a kaleidoscope each one of us is sort of you know, has been responsible for a color or two, but in terms of the whole, the 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 depth of the character and the and the breadth of the character, I don't. Thus far, nobody I've seen has done more than contribute something, and I sort of realized that at the time. I said, "Look at all I can, all I can, I can do at my absolute level best, and it's going to be some small percentage of of the whole." Well, you, you, um, my, my perception of you is that you, your carriage when you're playing authoritarian parts, which you've played quite a few, mm -hmm. very strong. You seem very confident. Uh, you have been cast playing those kinds of role, people who look up to you in various stages. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that that is a I think one of your good palate part of your good palates, it seems. Uh, if you're if you're going to cast somebody like a president or a Starfleet captain, et cetera, uh, they go to you. Uh, it seems very comfortable in real life. Are, are, do you carry any authority whatsoever? No, zero. That's it's always sort of astounded me that that's that what's that's what seems to have you know emerged as uh, as some uh, some part of perception of me uh, because I uh, the people who know me well just think oh god he's just a what a halfwit. <laughs> you know, I'm looking I'm looking at you right now even though this is audio we're looking at each other on a Zoom screen you know I can picture yourself with a little powdered wig and you could be Washington tomorrow. I feel that old at the moment. You're right. I would play an older Washington, although I don't think he had a New York accent. <laughs> yeah, actually, I see behind me. I'm, I'm in my little recording studio here, and right, right up there is a picture of Kennedy and uh, Sinatra. Anyhow, um, yeah, they, they were pretty close. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, the, I, I, it's. It, I had somebody on the other day talking about the conspiracies involving the Kennedy assassination, which you, and there's endless discussions about that and everything. Yeah, with it's, the third it, bullet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, now we come to uh, what I feel is a, um, I just just a fun movie, and this is a thing with me these days, Bruce. I just feel that fun movies are to be so prized because there's not that many fun movies now. Obviously, we've got the Marvel Universe and we've got all the various franchise movies, which are big epic adventures and exciting and fun. As the, mm-hmm. listeners, the listeners know who I, I rail every week about this. I, I just find that movies that just put a smile to your face and just keep you happy and, and I don't have to be 17 to enjoy it. So that's National Treasure and National Treasure 2. And I just I, I've always liked a good mystery and I've always liked a great deal of American history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the writers of uh, the Wibberleys who do- did those scripts, I think, were very cool in the things they discovered. And Nicolas Cage's character uh, just was a lot of fun. So walk me. If, uh, I think uh, let's see. That's um, I'm trying to remember the name of the director. Um, John Turtletaub. Turtletaub. Turtletaub yeah. uh, uh, directed both both of them. Um, walk me through how that part came to your table. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if I auditioned or if I was, or if they offered it to me. Um, Obviously, it's post- Steve, post- wow, I, I honestly don't remember. I, you know, I think because I'd probably done, probably because I'd done 13 days already. Right. They, I want to say they just, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't remember. So they you know, thought of you as presidential material. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and, it's and they, saw, they saw through my authority, so, you know. We've had an interesting run of presidents of late, uh, and, and I have to say, and I was a big um, West Wing fan. I mean, Martin mm-hmm. Sheen, to me, was the poster boy for the president I wanted to have. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just yeah. intelligent and well-read, and... Uh, uh, likable and i think that the first time you come on screen it's it's bruce greenwood in bruce greenwood form very likable um you weren't in a lot of the movie i mean obviously you have two or three key scenes but very key scenes and the scenes at mount vernon 
uh, were fun. Were fun. Uh, tell us a little bit. Where did you shoot that? Mount Vernon. You actually got to yeah. Mount Vernon. It was so great. Yeah, it was so cool. And uh, yeah, and there were some, you know, some, some luminaries there from DC, and that was kind of cool. And and uh, John Kerry was there, chatted with him for a while. And and you know, Nick is such a such a lovely guy. He's just he's just so he's so easygoing and and um and john's really fun and they just made it um they just they just made it fun and that's and i i think because nick is so easygoing and and john is so easygoing they they just um that that's why the movies feel effervescent right because the, because the vibe is just it's it's lovely and and you know getting to go to mount vernon and shoot the stuff right there was really kind of astounding you know you look down the hill and go god that's there's there's some there's a just a such a depth of history here oh sure did you get a chance to wander around the property a little bit yeah we wandered side? around we got you know that those catacombs where he where we're kind of hiding those are real those weren't a set oh really yeah yeah and then later on when we got down to the caves of course that's then that was all fabricated but that was all on a stage much later right right um Tell me, I mean, Nicolas Cage is everywhere. He he's he's kind of like a guy who I don't think sleeps. I think he's constantly working, and uh, I, I I'd, I'd love to know a little bit about what it was like working with him. You say he was fun and everything. Uh, can you describe a little bit of uh, the relationship you had with him? Is he the kind of guy you can go out with a, for a beer afterwards, or is it pretty separate? Yeah, we had we had some a couple of common interests and. Um... I had long ago. I had had a Lamborghini for a minute, and um, that I that I that I bought for a song and sold for a song and a half, um, long before they became highly valuable. And uh, and and he's he was into cars at the time, and so we chatted about cars. And yeah, well, he's just he's just one of those guys. He's he's well read, and and it's easy to talk to him about anything. And he's and he's. Um, as as you might imagine, he's uh, he's really entertaining to talk to. You never know where the conversation's going to go. Sure, sure. I, I kind of wish they would do more of those National Treasure movies. I know they did the the series, which didn't quite fly, probably because there was no Nicholas Cage in it. Um, well, he's one of those guys where if if the, if the dialogue is, if the question is, you really believe there's a, a a map to a secret location on the back of the Declaration of Independence? And he looks you dead in the eye and goes, "Yes, I do." And you just go, "I don't, I don't know how." I, I'm just astonished that people that at, at, at how effectively he sells that kind of thing. Oh yeah, you know, he's just um, he's wonderful in that way. Well, it's it's interesting. The the key aspect of your part in the movie is the fact that there is something called the president's book, which. Uh, I just find endlessly fascinating. And um, uh, I don't know if it's purely made up of whole cloth, but it just seemed like a great little, what they, I guess they call a MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that uh, Riley, I guess, knows all about this because he's the, you know, the brainy part of the unit. And uh, I, I thought that was really a fun little story uh, idea. Uh, did it get you thinking imaginatively about what it would be like to actually get your hands on an actual president's book? 
Well, and it, it, of course it did. And that, and people are, for years afterward, people would come up to me and say, what's on page 47? I, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta know what's on page 47. And at that time, I was kind of, I was hoping that, that we'd do another one, you know, that there would be a third one. And I was, you know, I had sort of convinced myself that at some point they would do a third one. So I would just promise people that they'd find out in the third, on the third edition. But I think I'm, I'm probably, I would have been president for about six terms by now. So (laughs) (laughs) he has turned into Washington after all. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, we've got to come to Star Trek now because um, having now done some iconic roles, uh, you come to probably one of the more iconic series of all time. Um, the first Star Trek that J.J. Uh, Abrams directed, I thought pretty much was the best one and uh, just flawlessly, ca- flawlessly cast. And uh, do you have memories of that process? Well, first of all, were you a Star Trek fan at all when you were growing up? When I was growing up, I was a Star Trek fan. Yeah. And, um, and I, although I didn't realize that a lot of the themes were classical themes, I, I was, I got, I did get swept up in the stories and, and, and seeing all these women in tight clothes and, um, (laughs) and, and, and imagining also, you know, this, this, world where you could you could look at something that looks like a phone and actually see an image there and talk to somebody that seemed so crazy and impossible you know and here we are and um but i was i was doing a film in toronto and i got a call um and uh my agent said uh jj abrams would like you to would i think they want you to do this part in this movie the start this new star trek iteration this new iteration of star trek movies and i said well um okay um great i'd love you that sounds interesting i'd love to talk to him and and um and at this point he wasn't the jj abrams he is now you know he'd done a bunch of television shows and but he wasn't he wasn't um sort of a, a mega star like he like he is like he's become deservedly and um so i had a conversation with him and i said uh well, I'd love to read the script. Can, I mean, but I'm to, Toronto. Can you send one up? Or, and he said, No, I can't. No. Oh, okay. Uh, well, can I? Could I? I guess I'll read it when I come into LA. And uh, and he goes, When are you going to come? I got a couple of weeks. And he goes, Okay. Well, we will set it up at the studio. You can come to Paramount, and we'll lock you in a room. There'll be a guard outside, and you can read it that way. And I go. And I thought he was joking. And he says, no, no, no joke, no joke. So uh, sure enough, I came down and, you know, I don't remember whether I relinquished my phone or, or not. I guess I must have. And uh, I sat down and read it and loved it and had some, had some questions for him. So I uh, went into his office afterwards and I, you know, asked him, asked him the questions and, and he said, okay, those are, uh, and he answered them and the questions that he couldn't answer um he said well i'll get back to you and i thought well okay i asked too many questions so well <laughs> damn it and uh, but then he got back to me and said hey, okay here's the answers to the other questions and uh i'd like to you know like to suit you up do you remember any of those questions you asked uh they mostly had to do uh, in, in 
not specifically, but they mostly had to do with how the story unfolds and what you know the groundwork that was being laid in one scene. Did it did it did it satisfy what happens in something many scenes later? You know, that, just that kind of thing. Just sort of. Um, I'm a very practical person when I read a script. Sometimes too practical, and uh, and I would it was is most about structure. Got it. Got it. Uh... Uh, I, I grew up a big fan of Jeffrey Hunter. Uh, the oh, yeah, sure. Terrific actor. And of course, he played Captain Pike in the, in the I guess, the pilot episode of, or one of the first episodes yeah, of the original pilot episode. Yeah. 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 And um, I, what, what I found interesting about the first Star Trek movie is just the casting seems so flawless. Yeah. And, 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 and when Zachary Quinto, 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 mm-hmm. When he comes on stage to play young Spock, I almost fell out of my chair. I mean, it was like he was re I thought it was one of those digital, you know, things. Right, uh, right. And Chris Pine just, I thought was just fun as Kirk. Uh, and um, every, oh, uh, so but, many clever references, so many clever tips of the hat to Shatner. <clears throat> you know, okay. the way he crossed his legs, all kinds of stuff that was just, just, you know, really respectful and really fun and um, yeah. And, and, Zoe, and Zoe Saldano's uh, uh, Uhura was terrific. Everybody was very interesting. That, that I mean, all sets are strictly business, but some sets seem to be more fun than others. Was Would you classify that set as a fun set? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because JJ is, is you know, he, he loves to have fun and he loves good energy and he exudes effortless good energy. And and he had chosen a bunch of people who really, really responded to that vibe, you know. And um, yeah, we had a lot, a lot of fun together. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just really, it was a really memorable experience for all kinds of reasons. And Anton and I played a lot of chess, and he kept kicking my ass, and and. Um, yeah. I, one of my favorite moments is uh, that you're pulling the Enterprise out of its space dock and uh, uh, Sulu's, Sulu's having trouble uh, getting the uh, warp driver. And I love what you said. You said, uh, is the parking brake on? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a fun, you know, it was a fun script. It's just a, it's a really fun script. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was just, it was it's hard to describe how you you would i don't know that any of us really knew at the time that it was gonna that it was gonna satisfy the way it did you know sure but but at the same time we were all having so much fun it was impossible to imagine that it wouldn't that it wouldn't translate you know well whenever whenever you seem to do a time travel story it get, can get a little confusing and I would say that the plot of uh, the first reboot was a little confusing, but I, I found that the performances were so much fun. They were they, the characters were so I didn't really care about the plot that much. I knew there were bad guys. The the, the Romulans obviously uh, were were terrific bad guys, very formidable, um, just very interesting. I mean. I, I sit there sometimes a little numb from the digital effects being so good. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up like you did with Ray Harryhausen animating uh, Cyclops one frame at a time in kind of a herky-jerky but very cool manner going all the way back to King Kong. And now 
you literally rub the lamp and you can have anything. And uh, yeah. I mean, the yeah. Enterprise goes through a warp and ends up in a, a graveyard of starships and you're maneuvering back and forth. That was just very cool stuff. Yeah. Well, it was also, you know, we walk on the set that first day on the on the bridge and there's the captain's chair. And and strangely, nobody was plopping themselves in it. Nobody was, you know, nobody's leaning on it. And it was funny. I sort of noticed it right away that there was a there was a zone around it that people were just not they weren't you know, they weren't sullying it with casual, with any kind of casualness. And, and I, and it took me a minute before I went, oh God, I, got, I, I think I've got to, I'm going to take a minute before I sit down in this chair. Okay. So you sit, you sit in the captain's chair. How are you feeling? It, as though, you know, as though I haven't landed on the ground yet, a little bit like I'd dropped out of the sky at 10,000 feet. Yeah, okay, the chute opens. I don't, I'm not on the ground, I'm not grounded yet. I'm not grounded yet. I'm not here. Oh, here, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. It was uh, a, a, um, a delicate and slightly time-consuming descent into, into feeling grounded. The other, the other scene I think is very effective is um, uh, Kirk gets into a huge brawl in that uh, bar. And right. that's where you first meet him, where you basically uh, walk up to him and... and uh, uh, I, dare, I dare you to do better in that scene. Yeah, that, yeah. that is one of my favorite scenes as well. And were you present during the fight at all? Did you see any of the fight? That was the first scene we shot. Oh. Yeah. So, oh yeah, so I was there. Um, and that was day one for me. They'd already been shooting for a while, but that was the that was the that was the first day, and it was, you know, you just gotta you just throw yourself in there and see what happens. Sure. But there's another story I want to tell you about that about that movie, and that, and that is that um, when we were shooting in in the big auditorium, uh, and I think that was after. Anyway, it was a big. It was a big auditorium. I can't remember exactly. There, there, there are two sequences. One is before when he's uh, being uh, accused of cheating. That's one. But I don't. Even, I don't know if you're there for that. But the the end end of the movie, you uh, you're giving the awards out. To... Yeah, it's the end of the movie. And, right. And so it's full. You know, it's full of people dressed in Starfleet outfits and full of it, hundreds of extras, and you know, the cast is there. And you know, there's there's always a sort of a general hubbub in a big in a big environment like that, and, until the camera rolls, and you know, a low hum of conversation and and everything. And there's you know, there's a vibe in the room and everything. And and then JJ came on a, a loudspeaker and you know, one of those little mega horn things, megaphone things. And uh, he said, I just want to let everybody know we have um, we have a guest here today. And um, doesn't really need an introduction, um, Mr. Leonard Nimoy. And he walked out onto the onto the sort of the mezzanine balcony, and it was like there was a a moment of this vacuum of astonished silence, and 
everybody just got a lump in their throat and then boom this this thunderous ovation it was just even man even just remembering it now i'm just it's like oh it was so intense and there was so much respect so much respect and so much love it was really oh, sure, really cool sure really uh, cool I had the honor of working for him briefly. Uh, and when I was a publicist, I went on tour when he was playing Vincent van Gogh's brother in a show, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a play. Right. And, uh, we were doing uh, Omaha, Aurora, Illinois, and just kind of doing some local theater. So I, every night I'd go out to dinner with Leonard Nimoy. And oh, my goodness, really? Wow. And, and being the big film geek I was, I was always trying to kind of get him to talk a little bit about movies and television. And he absolutely refused. He said, Steve, we're, we're working on theater. We will discuss theater. Oh, good for him. <laughs> and yeah. he would laugh and I'd laugh. And, it, and yeah. it, just, it was just such a pleasure to work with him. Um, you know, he had his National Guardsman number four moment, too, because on one of my favorite films of the 1950s is a giant ant movie called Them, which you may or may not know. It's a Warner Brothers picture. Uh, James Whitmore, uh, uh, John, John, uh, Jim Arness and uh, Greg mm -hmm. Cast, And he played a um, uh, I guess he played a Pentagon uh, radio operator. Oh, yeah. He's in it for two seconds, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. And now the auditorium where you filmed that ending, I, that obviously was a, a real auditorium or? Yeah, was yeah, oh. it's a real auditorium. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember uh, it where? Downtown. It was downtown. It was downtown. downtown. I think it was downtown. downtown somewhere. Got it. Got it. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Star Trek. And then, of course, you were in the next one as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was one where, you know, the script, um, the script came out and we it was issued to all of us and uh and i think i went to pick it up at paramount maybe i was in the neighborhood or something and um i was driving home and uh and jj called me on the phone he goes how you doing have you have you read it and i go no no i haven't i haven't read it <laughs> i haven't read it he goes well uh i my heart just sank and I, even before he'd said anything i said what are you what <laughs> what am i waiting for what's uh what what penny are you gonna drop here and he goes well i we kill you it's pivotal but we kill you <laughs> and uh and i was so uh just kind of heartbroken but um but it turned out to be a good. It was it was a it was a useful device and 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 uh, and a fun you know and a and a cool death scene you know. Well, you're in good company because uh, Leonard Nimoy talks about when he uh, was approached to do uh, the Wrath of Khan, which of course rebooted the whole series, as you know. Uh, Roddenberry came to him and said, "Would you like a, a terrific death scene?" And you know he has that great scene where he. Mm -hmm unleashes the uh whatever they call those things dilithium crystal drive or whatever it is and gets a right, right so yeah no, that's a good company. but the movie was terrific and and, and just uh, thank you for making it as wonderful as you did well it was a, it was lots of fun it was really lots of fun thank you 
So um, we uh, would like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners uh, if you have something upcoming you'd like to promote, because I know that you're always busy. Is there anything you would like to say a few words about? Yeah, I've got a couple, uh, couple of things coming. Um, uh, one is called The Invisibles that I did with Tim Blake Nelson, the little independent movie that we shot in, you know, with a wonderful, wonderful esoteric concept. And... Um, uh, that we shot in Toronto a little bit earlier this year. And then um, in sometime in the fall, maybe late September, early October on Netflix, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher, oh. which is directed by Mike Flanagan. We did um, an eight episode story inspired by the, the, the Poe tale, but, but done through the, the very distinct and inventive lens of Mike Flanagan. So is um, it a, is it no longer a period piece or is it still a period piece? Uh, it, it travels through time. So yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it has some contemporary. It's, it has, yeah. So it has very contemporary elements. Got it. Uh, Got it. so yeah, it's not a, it's, it's not a yesteryear story at all. It's, um, and it has all kinds of, it's has a, as a social conscience that you'll see, um, applies to to today's environment. Roger Corman did one of those back in the 50s. And when I was going to those movie, th that movie theater across the street in my house, I couldn't take horror pictures. I, being an only child, a rather protected only child, I just could not watch horror films. So when my friends would take, we go to the movies, I'd sit in the lobby. Gradually, I got my courage. You know, eventually I began to realize I can't be sitting in the lobby all day. It's really boring. So <laughs> but I remember the Usher movies and a lot of those Vincent Price, Pit in the Pendulum, House on Haunted Hill movies scared the living crap out of me. Yeah, you... I've never been I've never been um, a willing audience of that stuff. I'm just too I, I, I jump scares just terrify me. And and I the I don't mind being uh, sort of. I don't mind being made to feel uncomfortable emotionally in a in in a well-crafted movie but there's something about something about suspense that just just keeps my hair on end i'm just a i'm a, just a sucker for it and um and so i don't search it out how do you feel about comedy now i don't normally think of you as a comedic actor but you're terribly funny uh do you get enough comedy roles would you like to do no more I'd, I'd love to do more i'd love to do more but i'm i'm it's you know it's tricky because you're not if you're if you're not known for that at all then um then you those those opportunities are are fewer than they might otherwise be but uh yeah i that's that's what i'd like to i'd like to spend a little more time doing stuff that's um, i'd lo really like to do something that's you know banana peel flat foot well speaking of shit. canadians uh leslie nielsen like you mostly known for drama gets cast in uh, the uh airplane movie and uh just road to glory on that we got to find an airplane type movie yeah yeah really yeah yeah i had the i've had the pleasure of working with him early on and um so he was have you got time for one little story of course so we were doing a movie of the week in canada and there was a read through as there usually is they gather the whole cast around the table and the director's there and the producers are there and you know, the one thing you're not supposed to do in those situations is be late. And because everybody's there and you're never supposed to be late. I mean, it's, it's the, one of the, as, it's funny, I heard Tom Hanks say the other day that uh, 
one of the biggest favors you can ever do yourself is to is as an actor is be there early don't just get there in time be there early anyway i was late and i was late to this read through by i don't know five or six minutes but i was late and everybody was gathered around the table and um and i came in you know sweating and and apologetic and you know falling over myself with with uh, i'm sorry this i'm terrible i'm please forgive me and um i was introduced to some of the people i didn't know and and then uh and then introduced to leslie last and i and i kind of thought it was a little strange but i was that, that they wouldn't have introduced him first because he was the star and uh, but anyway they introduced him last and uh and the table was quiet and about four feet across maybe five feet across and 15 feet long surrounded by people and i was sort of right opposite him and he stood halfway out of his chair and leaned over and extended his hand and a little fart came out <laughs> and i went oh holy crap oh my he just fart. nobody's paying it oh okay nobody everybody's okay it didn't happen it didn't happen okay that's what we're doing he's an older guy he's an older guy. he just fart yeah he's farted that's okay i'm okay that every, clearly everybody has we're, we're not we're pretending we didn't hear it okay fine and i sat down and during the course of the read-through he he became you know it was like maybe half a dozen more times it, and then some some really astonishing sloppy farts and and nobody said a word and, and i was just like wow how can how can people not laugh to at least ease the tension in the room that was created by this fart there's just <laughs> we can't ignore this ignoring this is insane why is you know what's going on and at the end of the read through he stood up and reached across to shake my hand and let out the biggest, wettest, sloppiest, <laughs> dripping fart you can imagine. And everybody fell apart because he was a master with a little fart machine. In his <laughs> so, so his penalty to me for being late was to work this fart for the next hour and a half. <laughs> and, and he told me this story. He said, oh, yeah. And, and, and I discovered later that he was famous for it. I'm so glad I didn't know. But uh, he said, oh, yeah, I'll go to a gallery and see where a bunch of people are gathered around a painting. And I'll, I'll let one flap out. <laughs> and you'll see the crowd kind of, you know, hunch their shoulders and, and you know, and shuffle off to the next painting and i would follow them i'd follow them i'd, I'd fart them around the gallery you know well not only have i learned that you can't be late to those meetings but you've got to pay attention at those readings because things happen now being the publicist in those days i'm not exactly uh anybody's gonna throw me a lifeboat but i do pay attention and i was working on the sequel to honey i shrunk the kids it was called Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Right. Rick Moranis came back and he, you know, he enlarges his baby to 50 feet tall, et cetera, et cetera. Right. 
So at one point, he's got to shrink the baby down and go back and find his shrink machine, which is, of course, from the first movie, which is located in a warehouse the size of Dodger Stadium that is just huge. So I whispered to a guy next to me, wouldn't it be funny if while looking for his shrink machine, they find the crate carrying the lost Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> I was going to say, they maybe think the same thing. Yeah. So I'm watching him whisper to another person next to him, and, and it goes around the whole table. And, and then Ed Feldman, the producer, looks at me and says, we're going to do it. And not only did they put it in the movie, but it was mentioned in the Variety Review. <laughs> Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. So it does, it does, those readers can be very interesting. Well, Bruce, uh, you know, listen, it's, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. I knew this was going to be fun just from the first moment I said hi, even though we were both wearing our masks. Um, and I, I would love to have you back whenever you have a new show. And uh, as a producer myself, writing a lot of comedy right now, I definitely want to keep you on our radar and when we get something made, which of course is like rubbing that lamp these days. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping um, that the strike resolves itself. It sounds like your guild looks like it's going to go out possibly too. What do you think? Um, well, they're in, they're in the closed door negotiations right now. Uh, so we're kind of in the dark. Um, you know, they got a 97 or 98 point percentage uh you know strike vote so they have i think they've got the leverage obviously because we're all willing to go out so uh um, you know my hope is that they'll they'll resolve it before we have to go on strike because if if we go on strike then everything absolutely shuts down. shuts down no exactly exactly um we've been listening to bruce greenwood the wonderful bruce greenwood who uh, hopefully will be making films and television shows till whenever, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to see them. I'm Steve Rubin, your host. You've been listening to Saturday Night at the Movies. Our producer's Ben Shrewsbury. Thank you so much, Bruce. Oh, thanks, Steve. It was a real pleasure.